0: Scripture this morning comes from Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, with cheerfulness. The word of the Lord.
1: As you find your seat, take out your Bible to Romans chapter 12, where we are this morning. Uh, For those of you who are new, uh, I'm Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, we're glad to have you this morning. Um, We'll have an area that you can go Uh, to to meet some of our people and have a gift for you in just a little bit after the service is over. I also want to remind you up here to your left, um, a sign we've introduced this um, over the last couple of weeks, Heaven Roars. It's an initiative, something that we are hoping to see uh, God do through us this year. That is 500 first-time guests and 100 baptisms. So if you were here this past Wednesday, you got to experience three people who have given their lives to Christ get baptized this last week, and it was an amazing time if you were here, so uh, we are praying toward that. Uh, how many of you have ever taken a personality exam of some sort? I'm not giving you one this morning, it's all right, but there are, there are multiple ones that are out there. There, uh, there is the, the famous older Myers-Briggs, um, there is the DISC, um, 16 personalities Um, The one that's kind of come on the scene recently, but maybe is older is the Enneagram that's gotten popular. But then there's one that exists and it's everybody's favorite, the Rorschach inkblot test. And um, I don't know if you know anything about that, but I have one experience with the inkblot test. I was in third grade and uh, I was, I was asked to to go to an office of somebody at Old Ford Elementary. And when I did, um, they were testing me for AG. That was academically gifted, so I knew they were wrong right off the bat. And they were testing me for AG. And I go in there, and I thought I was going to take a math exam, English. I didn't know what was going to happen. The guy sits down, older gentleman, and he he has these cards. And he, he pulls out this card, and he shows it to me. And, and he says, what do you see? Um, well, I couldn't understand him well. For one, I don't know if he had an accent. I can't remember exactly. Uh, but a third grade... He definitely didn't have an old Ford accent, so I couldn't understand that. And he, he said, what do you see? I said, I see a flower. And he said, he said no, what do you see? Because so I thought for a second, I see a blooming flower. He said, no. I mean, I mean like his, his, voice, his voice agitated, what do you see? Right, so I, I, was, I was perplexed. I was racking my brain. I, I was looking at it. I remember this. And I was looking at it, and I said, hmm, I'm sorry, but I, I see a flower. And he puts it down, and he says, no, it's a bat. And he grabs this other card out, and he, he, he proceeds to, to say, what do you see now? Totally different picture. And between being a little bit uneasy that this man was getting so frustrated over a stupid card, and my facetious sense of third grade sarcasm. When he shows me the next card that is drastically different, what do I call it? A bat. And, uh, I do that to which at that point the AG exam was over and I, um, he, he didn't, I did nothing else and I, and they accepted me. So, uh, I don't, I don't know why, um, that was the case. Uh, but that, that happened, Um, And I I still don't understand what the point of, of that would be, some of you maybe do, but the point of a personality exam, the point of that is so that you can figure out more about who you are, your strengths, your weaknesses, the areas that you can grow in, the areas about yourself that maybe you need to know about. And I like some things about personality exams, and then I don't like other things because the things that, that you do that, that you want to, to make an excuse for in life. You can just say, well, that's just how I am. And, and, and it, it, it has a lot of things I, I like and don't like about them. But the purpose of any one of those is that you can think more clearly about who you are. You can think clearly about yourself and maybe you can think clearly about others. But this is not a new idea when it comes to, to science or the social science. This isn't new. Thinking clearly is something that God has said in his scripture for centuries. We must think clearly about who we are so that we can think more clearly about what we do. We must think clearly about who we are. Every person in the room this morning who knows Jesus and is a Christ follower are called to think clearly about who you are so that you can think clearly about what you're supposed to do. Every one of you sitting in here who knows Jesus, you have a spiritual gift in order to build God's kingdom. And this morning, we're going to discover how we evaluate ourselves and then how we can discover our gifting. I'm not going to give you a personality exam. I'm going to open up the Bible for us and declare what God has said. And just a heads up, this sermon is a bit more on the teaching side. It's, 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 uh, we're going to be diving into some rich material So I just want to let you know that the book of Romans is broken up into two major parts. Romans 1 through 11 is all about what it means to be justified by Christ, what it means to be a Christian, how we come to faith in Jesus. It's almost a systematic theology of the Christian uh, worldview. And then Romans 12 through 16 paints a very clear picture of how we are to live as Christians. Practically speaking, how are we to live? And we're in a sermon series right now about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, how we can become a a disciple of Jesus. And we say here at Grace that there are four things. Our discipleship process have four facets in that, and that is that someone discover God, they belong to community, primarily through life groups, they serve, and then they go everywhere else. And this morning we're going to be looking at what it means to serve faithfully. In order to think clearly and serve faithfully, we're going to see what we must do. So, the first truth this morning is this you got to think clearly about yourself. In verse 3, Paul says, But to think with sober judgment. He sets up his argument to say that you must think clearly. He uses the word think twice in just a few verses because he wants his readers to understand that in order to, to know yourself and your giftings, you must think clearly. About who you are. Well, in order to think clearly about who you are, we have to look back at Romans 12, 1 and 2, the verses preceding it. They'll be on the screen. We didn't read those, but I want to share them with you. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. These two verses could be two sermons, but I'm going to sum them up in a couple of ways. Verse 1 says you need to present yourself for spiritual worship. When you hear spiritual worship, don't think hands-raised singing. That word literally means service. You present yourself to God to serve. And how do you do that? Romans 12, 2, by having a transformed mind. Paul says your mind needs to be renewed so that you can learn what is good and acceptable. He says that we serve God most clearly when we have a transformed mind. The only way that you can see yourself most clearly is by seeing yourself as God sees you. Right When we evaluate ourselves based on our own perspective, we're going to see some things and we're going to elevate those and we're going to see certain things about our life and we're going to say it's no big deal. God sees us clearly, so the best way we can see ourselves is through the lens of God's word. Having a transformed mind allows us to see ourselves as God does with nothing to offer him, yet so full of value. We have nothing to give to God to say, God, you need this from us. Because we have nothing to offer, but then yet we have so much value also. So how does God see you? Verse 3 says, by the measure of faith. By the measure of faith. Now we can often read this, and you think measure, you think amount of faith. Like if I had more faith, or I don't have as much faith as somebody else, that's not what the word measure means here. The word measure comes from the Greek word metron, which means a standard. A standard. It's it's not an amount, it's a standard. It means thinking clearly based on the standard of our faith. Well, who is the standard of our faith? Jesus. We think most clearly about ourselves, not when we compare ourselves to others, but when we look at ourselves in light of who Jesus is. But you see, what do we often do? You and I compare ourselves and we we don't think clearly about ourselves because we we compare ourselves to other people. And it either leaves us feeling really, really good we're really, really depressed. Because you, when you measure your life up against somebody who is better than you, you think too lowly of yourself and that diminishes God's value on your life. But then when you think of yourself too highly, you diminish the gift of God's mercy and grace. Paul warns us right here that we're not to do that. He says, but to think with sober judgment, not to think more highly than he ought to of himself. We're warned not to think too highly of ourselves. And this is what typically happens. In the Roman church and in the Corinthian church, he dealt with this. They looked down on other people because they thought more highly of themselves. This happens to us. And when you and I look down on someone else and we think too highly of ourselves, it means that we have clearly forgotten the sin that we were sinking in and the Savior who saved us from it. What happens whenever we think incorrectly and have too high a view of ourselves you end up looking bad and failing at some point because you talk up how good you are and then you end up failing. And what does the Bible say? Pride goes before what? A fall. You look down on others when you think too highly of yourself. You, you show favoritism, a sin that is clearly stated in James 3 to avoid. You think certain things are beneath you when you think too highly of yourselves. But you see, when we measure ourselves up against the sinless son of God, we come to the conclusion that we are no better than anyone else. And we were destined for hell up against the perfection of Jesus. The ground at the foot of the cross is level with religious churchgoers and addicts alike. The only way we can measure ourselves rightly and think of ourselves in the most clear way is to measure ourselves in accordance with Jesus The Bible says that you need to think clearly with humility, understanding the gospel. How could the gospel be summarized that you were so bad Jesus had to die for you and so loved that he was glad to die for you? You can't be too good when you're already bad and you can't be too bad when you're already, well, bad. No. You see, that's what makes the gospel good news. You and I could do nothing to save ourselves. It wouldn't be good if we had to do something to If we had to do something to save ourselves because, then we wouldn't be able to do it. It's good news because Jesus did it for us. Thinking clearly about ourselves begins with knowing and understanding the good news of the gospel message. Which means that you were dead in sin and upon trusting Christ, you're made alive in the spirit. And in order to think of yourself, in order to think of yourself most clearly, you have to have a renewed mind. And that's where you have to start. So how do you do that? A couple of things that you can do. Remind yourself of the gospel daily. Remind yourself. Here's what I mean. Here's a a phrase that summarizes it. In Christ, there's nothing I've done that can make him love me more and nothing I could do that will make him love me less. When that truth gets into your heart, you realize, you know what? I don't have anything to prove to God today because I could prove nothing. God loves me anyway. You get into the word. That's the second thing. Paul says you got to have a renewed mind. Well, the way we have a renewed mind is through discerning and discovering God's word. Since it is perfect, it is inerrant, it is infallible, and it will lead us in no wrong direction, we have a renewed mind from his word. And the third one, many of you have already done this, but we still have plenty of these available in Next Steps. Take the spiritual health assessment. We have that. It's a, it's a um, maybe, I don't know, 40 or so questions that you just, you rate yourself on those questions based on kind of where you think you are in your walk with Christ, and then you get someone who knows you closely to do the same. Those are three clear next steps to think clearly about yourself. The next thing we need to think clearly about is one another or, or others. We need to think clearly about others. Paul's favorite analogy of the church is the human body, and for good reason. It works. That analogy works Perfectly, Paul says in verse 4, For as one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Though many, we are one body and individually members of one another. Our body has different parts for different uses. Eyes are meant to see and ears to hear. You, you don't want your mouth to try to listen. That's what you tell your kids. You have, you have two what? ears and one mouth. You don't want your mouth to try to listen. You don't want to try to chew your food with your hand. Like like you don't do that. No, you have various parts of the body that that function and and they're necessary for others. And in the same way, God sends people to local churches in order to build the body of Christ. And those people, all of you sitting here have various gifts. Like you wouldn't want me playing the keys that Judith was playing this morning. I know one song and it's Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue. And I'm proud of that. (laughs) Right, you, wouldn't want, you wouldn't want me to sit in on a benevolence meeting. Like, like you, I, I'm not the type that has, honestly, the, the patience for something along those lines. You, you wouldn't. You, There's several of you that are like, you know what, you don't want me leading a life group, but I can sure plan something really, really well. God has gifted you in various ways, and we need one another. I know there are some of us that think if people were more like us, and I say us because I'm including myself in that, if you were more like us, then we could get more done. And that might be true, but at the end of the day, you'd be doing it by yourself because nobody would want to be with you anymore. I get that. The primary issue in the Corinthian church and the church at Rome is pride. Pride crushes unity in the spirit. It destroys it. Pride in one church over another church devastates collaboration for the gospel. Every member of the church, every single one plays a vital role in building up the body of Christ. Every one of you. There's no one sitting out here who knows Jesus that it is any more important or any less important. No, you each play a vital role no matter what you do and no matter where you come from and no matter what you think you're capable of. And this is what makes a New Testament church. This is what makes a church. We don't unite around the fact that we're all alike. That would be easy. No, what makes us a New Testament church is we unite around the truth that though we are different at times and though we come from various backgrounds, there is a gospel that's greater than our differences and we can put that aside to champion the name of Jesus together. That's what makes us a church. Tim Keller said it before that it's a miracle that God can bring people from so many different backgrounds together and we not just tear ourselves apart. It's a miracle that that can happen. You and I who are followers of Jesus are individuals, but we're part of one body joined together by the spirit. And we, and each one of us is needed for the body to flourish and grow. God doesn't need us. We need one another. Here's the next thing. It's the last one. Think clearly about your gifts. As members of one body, we all have different functions, Paul says, and and the ways we're gifted, God has given you. Those in the room who know Christ, you, you are gifted. Every single person in here who knows Jesus is gifted in some way that God has given you. But it seems that when we get to the idea of spiritual gifts, many of us who've been around church for any length of time, we we automatically think of those ones that are very supernatural, tongues, healing, and prophecy. That's where our mind goes. And in some contexts, those gifts are focused on entirely too much. And in other contexts, those gifts aren't even talked about. Yet in Romans, Paul spends most of his time riding toward practical gifts. There's hardly any debate over how these are to be used. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells you to think clearly about your gifts. And in doing so, you're not attempting to be someone else or something that you're not. You're being exactly who God has made you. And there's a a word here that's highly important that God has assigned you to be. Look at the end of verse three. He says, the measure of faith that God has assigned you in this room right now, that's the key word. God has gifted you exactly how he's gifted you. This takes away all pretense and pride. If God has given you the gift you have, you can't take credit for it and you can't complain about it. Right, 1 Corinthians seven seventeen says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is a, a key statement here. Only you can do what God has called only you to do. Only you can. God has assigned your gift. Don't wish you had been gifted in another way because God doesn't mess up. However God's created you and however you can use that spiritual gifting, if you think, man, I wish I could be more like this, you're wishing that God had done something better. Oh, God does nothing worse. He only does things right. So if you're gifted in some capacity, I know you might say, Adrian, you don't understand. I do something and somebody else does something the same and they just happen to be better at it than me. That may be true. That may be true, but you're needed. We need you. God doesn't need you, but we need you to build the body of Christ nonetheless. I rely on many of you in this congregation heavily. People that I talk to, people that encourage me, people that I share, things that are going on in my life. Like, if I did not have you, I would not be the same. And I know that we could go around this room and you could probably share people in this room or in the next service whom you are close to and you're like, these people matter to me greatly. Every one of you is gifted exactly how God has gifted you. Don't equate your giftedness with your value. Every one of us are are extremely valuable to God, and and that's why he would give his son for us. And he's gifted you. I also want to say this, that God has called local churches to, to unique areas of ministry. Meaning Grace Community Church is called to do what Grace Community Church is called to do. Right down the road, 45 seconds that way is Greenlee. Jonathan Tipper, the pastor there, is a good friend. He's not supposed to try to be Grace, and we're not supposed to try to be Greenlee. If we go up the road that way, there's, there's PG and there's Ethan and, and you're going up the road. There's churches all over this county and those churches are uniquely placed to, to build God's kingdom where they are. They're not trying to be us. We're not trying to be them. Every church, every local church that God has placed is valuable to building God's kingdom. So what are those gifts that Paul talks about? There's seven that he mentions. Seven. There's some speaking gifts and some serving gifts. And I'm going to walk through each of them quickly. I don't want you to think seven of them. like, oh my gosh, I'm going to walk through them pretty quickly and I'm going to point out a next step at the very end. But before I keep going, I want to clarify something that every Christian in the room, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to serve in some capacity. If you're in here and you know Jesus, I know you may have an ability that goes one direction. Somebody has an ability that goes another direction. You're called to serve. That's not from me. That's from God's word. You're called to do so. I know that And also, when we look at these gifts, I don't want you to look at all of them and say, yeah, I have that one, I have that one, I have that one. Chances are there's very few of you that have all seven. Like there's probably one or two of you out there that are just that gifted in some capacity. But every one of us has one of these in some way, so I'm going to go through them quickly. Prophecy. That's not what you necessarily think it is. That's not being able to, to tell the future. Prophecy is preaching and proclaiming the word of God. Let me speak to this for a moment. This is boldly declaring what God has said in his word and opening it up for people. I nor any other preacher of God's word has anything to add to this book. We have nothing else that, I, that, that we're going to come up here and say, hey, let me tell you something that God has revealed to me that's not already in here. Understand that. Prophecy is boldly proclaiming the Word of God. The church is built on the proclamation of the Word of God. That by no means makes any preacher any better or any, any more important. On the contrary, we're servants of the people. However, the correct proclamation of God's Word is essential for a healthy church. And if you feel called to the ministry of the Word, if you're in this room and, and, and you're like, you know what, I've sensed for some time, as I did years ago, that I feel maybe called to, to preach or proclaim God's word, we want to know about it. Like we desire that. If you do, let us know, please. Prophecy, that's preaching and proclaiming the word of God. The next one is service. That's willing to do whatever to help another believer. Literally, that's what that means. You're just you're like, you know what, I want to help. I don't care what direction it is, I just want to help. This literally means you care for them and, and do something for someone. The third one is teaching. This is practically applying God's word for Christian living. Some people are masterful at this, right? You listen to them um, and, and you're like, my life is different now because they opened up the scripture in such a way that I can apply it so clearly to my life. There are a couple of primary ways at this church that you can do that. That's life group leading and that's teaching and equip you which actually start tonight, our, our Equip You classes start tonight. And if you're a parent, you have to do this also. You have to apply God's word and, and sometimes God's wrath to, to your to your kids. But someone who loves and is able to apply God's word is someone who is, is teaching. Here's the next one, exhortation. This means boldly encouraging other believers. That's what it is. Some people naturally have this, like, You don't realize you have it, but everybody else around you realizes you have it. You're an encourager. You can speak truth. You can even speak hard truth, and it's received well. You can say something strong, and and it's taken softly. That's exhortation. Contributes. This is one of the last few. Generously giving above and beyond what's expected. The, the the Greek word for for this actually has two meanings. When we're talking about generously, it means what you would think willingly, and then it also means free of mixed motives. You you give because you love to. You give because you love to. The second to last one is lead. You're able to wield influence toward the mission of God. Some people can do this. You just you you have to have a gift. Like you naturally can lead people toward accomplishing something for the mission of the church. And the last one is mercy. This is lovingly caring for those in need. And I just want to say for a second that that this is not something. Most people who have this gift, from from my experience, like you can sit in a room with somebody who is struggling and battling and, and you can empathize so, so, so well. The word that's used here is cheerfulness. Some people have a heart for the down and outers and really love caring for them. Full transparency, I want to I share with you, several years ago, I took our spiritual uh, gifts inventory, the one that's on our website. And when I did, um, um, I, I scored, my top three were what I thought they would be for the most part. And I've never met another person who scored in the single digits on any of them. And I scored, I think, like an eight on mercy. All right. I, like I know, I, I scored an eight so last year, I think last November, when we did our serve initiative here and, and, and we had tables set up around here, I decided I was going to take it again because it's been a few years. And I took it again. And I know you're not supposed to do this, but when I did, like I knew the questions that were like intended for, for, for the mercy side of things. So I answered everything correctly except for, the, I mean, I didn't like, I didn't, I didn't exaggerate too much if it was like rarely and often And and normally I was like over here. I just kind of moved it over here, moved it over there, did what I knew I was supposed to do, got my results back, got my results back. The top three were still the same and mercy was one point lower Here's the thing. That's why I don't do loads of, I'm serious. That's why I don't do loads of counseling here. Like I'm not, I'm not the one that you want to be like, you know what? I want to seek you out for counsel. If you do, that's fine. Uh, But it's it's just not my gift. I know I have a long way to go. And here's the thing. I'm not using that as an excuse. Like I've learned as I've become a parent, I've learned more and more how much you've got to have. I wanted to share with these with you briefly, because here's the thing. Your, Your role as a Christian is not to just find those things you're simply good at and just do that one thing. At times as a parent, you're gonna to have to speak truth in the life of your kid. Whether they're a, a toddler or whether they're a teenager, or whether they're 30, you're gonna to have to speak truth into the life of your kid. There'll be times that you're gonna be teaching. At other times you need to encourage. At other times, you're you're gonna give above your tithe, and you'll hopefully lead well and show mercy. God gives gifts to build up his church, and the reason you serve is not because you're asked to. The reason you serve is to build the body of Christ. That's why you serve. We have many of you at this church who serve faithfully, and for that we're grateful. I mean this. Our church accomplishes its mission because of you. And many of you, what you do goes unseen by everyone else doesn't go unseen by everyone, but it goes unseen by a lot of people. But here's the thing. It does not go unseen to God who has assigned you that gift. However, if you're in this room this morning and you're a Christian, I'm talking, you're a follower of Jesus. You're a disciple of Christ and you're sitting on the sidelines. It's imperative that you begin to serve because God has gifted you to serve how he's gifted you to build up the body of Christ. It's imperative that you do. And here's the thing. At Grace, we don't want you to serve to be a warm body. We've done that before. Like, hey, we need 10 people in this area. Please do that. We honestly, I mean this when I say it, we want you to serve how God has gifted you. Because in the way that God has gifted you is how you're going to do your part in building the kingdom of God. And your job isn't just to figure out what you're supposed to do. Your role is to begin to serve next week. And when you serve willingly, you're going to discover what you are good at, what you're gifted in. So I would say that, and I would give you one take home from this, and that is go to our spiritual gifts inventory that's, that's in our resources page on our website, our, our, our info hub. Often these are not helpful. Just being honest, I've taken spiritual uh, gifts tests for years, and you can walk out kind of confused sometimes because you don't really know what they mean. This is one of the best ones I've ever taken, or probably the best one. It's so, so helpful. You take it, it sends you an email that explains all, the, all, your, all of your score. It explains everything. The church then has a, has a database for that. Like I would encourage you, if you've taken it before and it's been several years as I did, go take it again. Take it again to see how you are gifted to build God's kingdom. And if you've never taken it, make that your first step. Next, I want to say this, and I, and I mean this to the one in here who thinks I I have absolutely nothing to offer because there's probably at least one of you or probably many of you that think I have nothing to offer. If Jesus was willing to save you from your own sins and keep you from hell, he has by all means gifted you for service to him. Do not begin to think I don't have anything to give. Do you understand that God has more invested in your life than you do? You have so much to give and if Jesus died because you needed salvation and you couldn't get it on your own, don't think that that you have nothing to offer at the same capacity. Don't think that you have what God needs. Because God has assigned you that gift. As I said earlier, at the cross the ground is level. And lastly, I want to say this before I'm done. If you've never received the greatest spiritual gift, which is the forgiveness of sins and your salvation, do not walk out of this place this morning without it. It would be It would be horrible for you to think, I want to discover how I'm gifted and yet don't even know the giver of the gift. This morning, don't walk out of this place without it. If you would pray with me, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your your gospel, which saves us, Lord, which keeps us, guides us. And God, I pray this morning uh, for renewed minds for all of us in this room, for renewed minds as we think more clearly about ourselves, for renewed minds as we think more clearly about others and as we think clearly about our gifts, Lord, you have gifted us. Lord, may we use that to not simply do something, but God, we do that because there's a a church that needs built, there are lost people that need saved, there are disciples that need to be made, and God, we have our gifts in order to, to do just that. Or by your spirit and by your power, we'll accomplish what you've called us to do, just to make disciples, to see families flourish, to see lost people come to faith in you, Jesus. And I pray this morning as as we go from this place, I, I pray that the people sitting in this room would would be renewed by your word, would remind themselves of the gospel, Lord, and then discover where they can best serve. Jesus, in your name we pray.